What's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we have a bit of a different interview for you today. This is with my guy, Cody Cottle, and he and I are in the same mastermind, which is called Billion Dollar Brotherhood, and uh, we're you know Christian businessmen who are looking to grow in our health, wealth, and relationships. So it's not what it sounds like. We're not just like a bunch of greedy SOBs trying to make some quick cash. Um, we're, we're about impact and really um, what most guys are drawn to in that particular group is just the messaging around looking after your family and having kind of a well-rounded entrepreneurship experience. So uh, that's where Cody comes into the picture. Uh, this guy's young, but has really had a lot of success and an amazing story of just overcoming addiction. Uh, guy's been in jail before and he's overcome a lot. And so I, I brought him onto the podcast for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, I think it never gets old just hearing about the adversity people have overcome. You know, let's not kid ourselves. We are always facing some sort of adversity. Sometimes it's very minor and sometimes it's quite major. And hearing these stories just continues to remind us that we can go on, we can go through. If, if Cody could do it, so can I, you know, if Sathya can do it, so can I. So there's, there's some value there. But the other thing is you have to remember when you get free of porn, and you really start walking in freedom, you have a lot more options at your disposal because you have more time, you have more energy, you have more resources to play with. And for some of our clients, that has meant starting a business or starting a ministry or you know just stepping out uh, a little bit more, taking some more risks in life. And that's what I want to see for all of you. And Cody's a shining example of what that could look like. And so I'm hoping it gives you a little bit of a taste of what happens when you do get free. Um, you know, Cody was addicted to alcohol, sex, a bunch of things. And he's been sober for, I think, about 14 months uh, in both areas. Um, I think it's been a bit longer for alcohol. But anyway, and um, he's killing it, you know, and he's, he's had all kinds of things just work out in his favor by God's grace. And I would say as a byproduct of his work and the freedom that he's obtained. So I hope it inspired you to do both. Um, this is a bit of a different style. So Cody shares a lot of his story. He's very animated. Uh, you know, he can he can talk, and uh, and I just happily let him do it. I kind of like that. So that's kind of uh, what you can expect from this. But obviously, we get to know his story. Uh, we hear about all the adversity he's overcome, and he drops some real nuggets throughout the talk, especially near the end. Some really good stuff, just about finding your purpose in life and really paying uh, any cost that you're willing to to um, to see. Well, to reach the people that God's called you to reach. So I won't give too much more away. Without further ado, here's my interview with Cody Cottle. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Cool. Well, I'm here with my main man, Cody Cottle. And bro, you are one of the most inspiring people I think I know personally. Just incredible energy. And I think if people, you know, people just saw you in passing, they had a conversation with you, they'd be like, man, this guy's got his life together probably had the perfect upbringing, probably had every advantage in life for him to be the kind of person he's become today. But it's been so fun getting to know you, man, and just hearing about all you've had to overcome. So I'm excited to dig in. But for starters, man, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Sophia, it's an honor to be here, man. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, let's let's set this up a little bit. You have, uh, I would say, a pretty 
unusual upbringing story. And I know, um, you know, for, for some people, it's not as relevant as others. But for you, it really does play into some of the stuff that you've overcome more recently in your life. So take us back to the beginning, man. Set the stage a little bit for us to understand your story. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting when you just introduced me there, you know, how you talked about anybody in passing would just say I'm this well put together, probably had the perfect childhood. And it's quite the opposite, as you know, and and your audience is about to find out. And before I get into the story, I just think it's so cool that no matter where we start in life, it doesn't determine where we end up in life. We get to determine mm. that. Uh, yeah. So guys, that's that's kind of my story. I'll take you back. Uh, I was born and raised in Kalamazoo, Michigan, actually Alamo, Michigan, very small farm town outside of Kalamazoo uh, by a single mom with two kids. And the reason I had a single mom is my dad went to prison three months after I was born. Still in prison today. Uh, I am 28 years old. So my dad's been in prison for 28 years. He'll be serving wow. a 30 year sentence really weird to think he'll be back in my life in a couple of years. Uh, We do have a relationship now, but as you guys can imagine, growing up with a dad in prison, uh, there was adversity from the start. And poverty is something I just knew all too well. You know, evicted from a home three times, lived in a car twice, uh, grew up on food stamps, grew up on government aid. Uh, My mom's an amazing woman. And I'll never take away from that. I always say I have my mom's heart. She taught me how to treat people, how to love them, how to meet them where they're at, uh, which is a great gift. She was just never very good financially. And she didn't have a man in her life to help with that. So much so that the men she did have in her life were terrible men. And I had just bad boyfriends coming in and out of my life that were like male figures. Uh, Some were abusive, whether that was verbally or physically. Um, And it was just, it was a tough home and there was a a lot of partying, a lot of alcohol, you know, mom didn't really do drugs, but her friends did. And, and they were around me and I'm, you know, kids pick up on everything. We're like sponges. So I just had this really toxic childhood and out of that stemmed a very broken, angry, insecure little boy. Um, I didn't have a dad. I didn't have anyone to build me up in life. I didn't have anyone to have those conversations with. Uh, And I was just super insecure I hit puberty at a later age than most guys. So I definitely didn't have that going for me. I was one of the smallest guys in my grade and in my class. How late did you hit puberty? How old were Uh, you? Man, so it's interesting because I would say the tail end of high school, like really like as I'm graduating is really when I started developing as a man. And I'm like, God, like right now, like (laughs) we're graduating in a few months. Why do I got to all of a sudden get skinny and start looking good and some tonality to me? literally months before school ends okay okay funny that's funny i i skipped a grade so i was always like behind my peers in that way and there's a there's one class pick where like well all my friends were dutch as well like i went to school that had lots of dutch guys but there's one class pick where like everybody's literally like a foot and a half taller than me <laughs> and i'm just a shrimpy kid that like hasn't hit puberty don't have genetics on my side compared to the other guys and uh so yeah i definitely identify with that man i, I was just curious but dude, yeah i'm, carry I'm on. at I could even, there was a story, man. Cause like, ah, oh, dude, I just remember like freshman year of high school. And it's like, all the guys are getting really fit. All my buddies, like I, you know, my buddies were ripped and this girl I liked so much, dude, invited me to her pool party. And, uh, I didn't go because I was so ashamed to go and take my shirt off. Wow. 
Yeah. Cause I just huh. hadn't, I didn't have it like these other guys did. I'm like, if I go and I take my shirt off, she'll never be interested in me. Cause there's all these guys around me with six packs and that that's just not a good strategy. So we're going <laughs> to avoid that one. I get it, man. Dude, you're, you're probably speaking to, I bet you more guys have done that than you realize that I, I have a story like that too. So I, I totally get it. Yeah. So that I had, I didn't have that going for me guys. Um, and then like to really set the precedence of, of how financially we struggled, um, and mom, if you're hearing this, you know, I love you, but we got, you know, we got to impact people. And, um, I just remember being in this gas station, like this little mobile one rinkety dink, like crappy gas station. We've all been in them. And I'm, I'm with my sister and I'm like, uh, nine years old. Autumn's two years younger than me. She's seven. And I just remember like, the checkout, you know how they have the candy bars are very strategic. They put them at eye level of kids. And my sister sees the Butterfingers, her favorite candy bar, and she grabs it and she looks and she's like, mommy, can I have this? And I just remember my mom's face, man, just like the hesitation, like to even say yes to like at the time an 89 cent candy bar because we were so broke. And she looks at my sister and she's like, you know what? We'll, we'll try basically like, we'll see if the card swipes and, and lets us get it. Wow. And then looks at me and is like, Cody, do you want one too? And I'm like, no mom, I know we can't afford it. So I just had this maturity even at nine years old because my mom would speak to me about our financial situation. Huh. This is setting up the next chapter in my life. Cause at 13 years old, I don't know. Satya, you know, as this leads a little bit to entrepreneurship, my story, I don't know if you're born with it or if it's a product of the environment that you're put in or a combination of both, because I've really dug into this. But I can tell you this. I didn't have a choice. Making money was something I just had to figure out or I was going to settle for the rest of my life. I felt like never having it. So I told my mom at 13, I'm going to start my own business. She's like, you're 13 years old. What do you mean? You're crazy. I'm like, no, let's just hear me, mom. I was like, we have, we live in a small country road. There's like nine neighbors and I'm going to go knock on all their doors and offer to do yard work. Wow, First, business, let's go. Let's go. Can I mow your yard? Can I weed your garden? Can I pick up rocks and sticks? Whatever. Can I paint your house? Can I pressure wash your deck? Whatever they wanted, I was willing to do it. No, I didn't have an LLC. Sorry, Michigan. You didn't get a cut of that money, but it was my first business and I'm proud of it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's awesome. I knocked on my neighbor's door and this is where the story for me really takes a a pivot. Guys, uh, I want you to write this down if you guys aren't driving. Um, God creates divine alignment for your assignment. And that's what happened with me. And at 13, knock, knock, knock on my neighbor's door. His name's Wally. Wally opens up the door. And he's like, hey, Cody, what's up? Because I'd seen him in passing. You know, you always see your neighbor. He has this really nice house, swimming pool in the back, business on the property. And we have this little crappy house next door. (laughs) And uh, I was like, well, I'm starting my own business. Uh, Can I mow your yard? Can I do anything? I I really want to get some clients. I'll do anything around your house. And he, I think he saw something in me that he was just impressed that this little 13 year old kid wearing hand-me-down clothes is knocking on his door to, to try to make money. And yeah. he's like, sure, come over after school tomorrow. I'll figure something out for you to do. So as you guys can imagine, I'll pump. That's my first client. I can't wait all through school the next day. All I'm thinking about is, oh, I wonder what he's going to have me do. I'm so pumped. And I get there next day. We agree. He's going to pay me $5 an hour. was ecstatic. And he had me mow his yard. Fond memory too. I never uh, rode a riding mower. I'd only had a push mower because we were so poor. 
So he gets out his big old John Deere riding mower and a really cool memory, like teaches me how to ride it. And I got to mow his yard. Wow. It was cool, man. When we get done, he didn't just pay me and say, okay, go home now. He told me to pull up a chair and we sat on his pool deck and he began to speak to me in a way that no adult had ever spoke to me before. Asking, you know, questions like I actually mattered, like he actually cared about what I said. And I just don't think I'd ever had that, especially from a male, because I didn't have a dad in my life. So there was this draw to this older male role model mentor figure, Cody, what do you want to be when you grow up? What's important to you? How's school going? And then like he said something that day, he's like, you know, you can, you can dream bigger. Like you can become anyone that you want to be. And he shared a story with me slightly at the time. And I learned the whole story of, he's like, you know, I came from a really tough home too. And he knew I came from a tough home and, you know, we're neighbors, you know, you're not oblivious to what's going on at your neighbor's house. And he just told me how he was able to come through that adversity and build the life of his dreams. And he had owned multiple businesses in Florida. He had moved back to Michigan where he originally was from. He was in his later years in life in his fifties, basically just very wealthy. You know what I mean? Very well off at that point. And I went home that day and I'm like, wow, like, can I be like Wally? You know, like it was the first time ever in that life. I want you guys to think about that moment. The first time you ever have that thought of, wait, can I be great too? Right. I never had it before then. And I kept going over there. And as you guys can imagine, Wally became my mentor. Wally started pouring into me and, you know, I was making money doing work for him. I started working in his business. He owned a couple of businesses and one was a fire extinguisher company. And I remember like, I would clean up the fire extinguisher area and I would get to go outside and like blast like 30 fire extinguishers. And it was like super fun. And so much so though, that like, he just became like the dad I never had. And this is where the story gets even crazier because I ended up moving in with him and I lived with him for a couple of years. Just next door. You mean? Yeah. Like you moved all your stuff next door. Yeah. Move next door. And I know like, what what is mom thinking? Everybody's going, but my mom actually has had this unique ability. I believe it's God, just the way he worked things out for me to become the man I am. Uh, You know, she knew it was best for me. She saw the way that he poured into me, the way that he invested in me, the way that he was nurturing me and mentoring me up. And went to my mom, it was hardest discussion I ever had in my life. We, you know, we cried, but I told her like, you know, it's not like I'm not going to see you, but let me move into this environment. Like, this is what I want. This is what's best for me. And she did. And this is the hard part for me because you're a young kid, you know, this is 13 to 16 years old. This is all transpiring. Uh, It's easy to be naive to some things, but you're not totally naive. Like you notice things. And for me, I noticed when Wally walk up a staircase, he would run out of breath and we'd have to stop. I noticed he would cough a lot and different things like that. And he, I knew he was ill, but I didn't know the extent of it. And before I moved in, he said, Cody, I need to talk to you. And he sat me down and he said, listen, I want you to live with me, but I want you to know that I'm dying. And he had multiple myeloma blood cancer. And that's a, a terrible cancer that eats away at the bone marrow inside of your bones through the blood cancer cells. It makes them really brittle. And his last year of life, he'd wake up and have fractured ribs just from sleeping at night. Um, He could break his bones very easily. On top of that, he had no lungs because of his childhood that he had, which was really rough. He began smoking cigarettes at 12 years old. Mm. 
And a lot of his life, he smoked cigarettes and developed emphysema, which is like a lung disease that literally just deteriorates the lungs. Mm -hmm. And that combined with blood cancer, you know, their doctors were like, yeah, you're lucky you're even standing right now. And I didn't know this three days before I knocked on his door, he was at the doctor and the doctor told him, listen, you're not going to live more than nine months. And you imagine that being told you have an expiration date that make your arrangements, you're going to die in the next nine months. And three days later, this, this young neighbor boy knocks on your door. And I, I think about it now. And I realize he was at a place in his life where he, he poured into me because he wanted to do like one last good deed, you yeah. know, one last, like, and it's interesting, maybe even legacy. He lives on through me, even for those, those short few years, but yeah. it's crazy guys. Cause he lived three years. The doctors were wrong. No, he didn't die in nine months. And every day he would look at me and he'd say, the only reason I'm still alive is because you've given me a reason to live again. Holy I didn't understand it till now. You know, it took years later after his passing to understand why I was a reason for him to live, why I was such a miracle to him, why living three years was such a improbable thing for someone in his position. But I'll tell you this. He gave me a reason to live. He gave a young, broken, insecure little boy purpose and belief in himself that to this day has been the sail that I have rode on to show up as confident as I do and to do the things that I've done. Yeah, wow. So that That's tells powerful, you man. more about me, Cynthia. And at, at 16, he, he dies, guys. My, my mentor dies. The dad I yeah. never had dies. I'm broken and wrecked. I got to move back into the broken home and it's toughest period of my life. And the next three years are going to be tough for me because I ran away from home. I lived on the streets. I started selling drugs. I got in a really sticky situation. Then I went to my mom and said, I can't, I can't live here anymore. I can't do this. And I was just a mess. I was so hurt after he passed away. And I told her I'm going to move out of state with or without you. Let me My pause mom. for a sec. Let me pause for a sec. Because this is, this is really interesting. Because I think some people might hear the story, Cody, and be like, dude, this is, this is amazing. Like you had your father figure step in. He gave you purpose. He imparted life. He, he started to cause you to dream bigger. Why, why did you turn back to, to drugs and all that? Was it like were you coping with the pain or were you just back in that environment now that you weren't living with him? Like what exactly caused all that to start in the first place? Yeah, dude, that's actually uh, that's a good question. Probably good for this audience. You know, I think that I was exposed to so much more and knew I was capable of so much more. And then I, I was emotionally traumatized and hurt. And then I had to go back to the old environment where the old habits existed and okay. the combo of the emotional trauma and back into the toxic environment made it very easy to fall back to old habits and old ways. Yeah. And I wasn't strong enough yet to, to be able to carry that on my own. Now my story does change, but I got to go through hell for a couple of years and I don't wish it on anybody. Yeah. 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 I got it. So, so carry on, man. So what, what happens then you come to your mom? Yeah. And we, so I tell her, you know, I'm moving with her without you was always supposed to move to Florida with Wally anyways. That was our plan. Get me out of Michigan was just toxic, man. Just where I lived in, 
we we go to we end up in South Carolina. I'll speed the story up a little bit. It's crazy how we ended up there, but we end up in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we actually end up in the hood. And a three block segment back in the day, the African American community lived in Atlantic Beach. That's where I lived. Modern present day, it's just the ghetto on the beach. It was the only place we could afford to live. And signed up for school. I I finished high school in three years, a year early down there. Um, because I was busting my butt. I was working two jobs. I was doing landscaping and I was a pool boy. So I did those two things. I would, I would do school and I would work every moment outside of school to make money and save up money. I quit smoking and doing all the things I was doing back in Michigan. I had my life on track. And then I come home from school and I'm almost 17 at this time. And uh, there's an eviction notice on my door. And I knew, I knew as soon as I was walking up to the house, I saw that bright piece of paper. I've seen it before. I knew what it was. Mm. I was so upset, man. I had just over $2,000 in my bank account. And my mom never once like came to me for like help. And here we are getting kicked out of another home. One that I fought to get us to. I don't always tell this, but the reason we even had that home is because of the boss that I worked for that I impressed so much, didn't want me and my mom living in the hood. So made an introduction to a friend who hooked us up. We were two blocks from the ocean in one of the nicest areas to live. We were very fortunate. And then we lose it. So I go to the landlord. His name's John. I'm banging on his door. I pulled all my money out of the ATM. I'm like, got like $100 bills in my hand. I'm like, John, I'm so sorry. Like I just saw the eviction notice. Let me take care of whatever my mom owes. Don't kick us out. He literally like slams the door in my face and says, you and your mom need to be out in 30 days. And I'm just like devastated, dude. I'm like finally getting stability with my mom and it's being taken away. So I go back and I had a hard conversation, one of the hardest in my life, but one of the most defining in my life. And I told my mom, I I can't do this anymore. I love you, but I need more stability in my life and I can create it better on my own. I've been on my own ever since, guys. I'm almost 17. I'm 28 now. So like 11 years, I've been living on my own, taking care of Cody. And that's where my journey begins. Uh, But I will tell you, I wish I could tell you it was all sunshine and rainbows. Um, I reverted back to... I had to make money. I had to take care of myself. And I've always been able to figure out how to make money. I've always been entrepreneurial, but that gravitated to fast money. Um, and I, I started selling cannabis down in South Carolina and I, I, I can say it now. I don't even mind saying it, but like I built a little, little mini empire for me. I was yeah. making over six figures by the time <laughs> I was 20 years old, cash money on the streets, living in an oceanfront condo, driving a Mercedes Benz, like, yeah, little, little young hustler. But then wow. uh, things do catch up with you. And I got arrested and I found myself in a jail cell and I was counting the bricks to not go crazy. There was 183 of them. And this is where it's interesting. Uh, I'll leave another word for your audience. Rejection creates redirection. And I got faced with some big rejection and some wake up calls in my life. What happened is pretty amazing because it redirected the very path and course of history for me, but it could have gone either way. So it's very important in those moments to decide which way you want to go. For me, I'm sitting in this jail cell and then all of a sudden I, I see Wally sitting next to me my mentor sitting next to me, the man that took me in and poured into me in the very last days and last breaths that he ever got to take. And, and I, he's just looking at me like, what are you doing? Like, you know what I mean? And, and I started to think is the way I'm living my life, honoring 
Wally. Yeah. And, and I started crying in this jail cell, just knowing I was letting him down that he mm. saw something in me. Great. And this is how I'm going to steward it. This is how I'm going to honor him after he dies. This is the way I'm going to live my life. And then I just, I'm just crying. And I knew like, I just made a decision right then and there that I'm not going to be a victim. Guys, my vice principal told me I would amount to nothing in my life, told me I would end up in prison just like my father. And I started to believe him. I remember sitting in that cell because people had told me I would end up in jail like my father multiple times throughout my childhood. And I remember going, yeah, they're right. And then I get home and I talk to my mom and my mom's just crying. And she's, I'm like, mom, why are you crying so much? I'm fine. She's like, you're turning into your father and it's breaking my heart. Wow. You guys understand my, my dad was one of the biggest drug dealers in the Midwest. My dad was responsible for 80% of methamphetamine in Michigan. Like wow. that, like he was somebody that, that's why he's in prison for 30 years. So here I am at this point where I'm like, wow, I'm a POS. I'm becoming everything everybody said I would. I'm just yeah. another statistic. Then the pity me party kicks in. But if it Wally, man, Wally was the one thing, no matter how bad I wanted to feel for myself, I kept thinking about him. And I'm like, well, why did he see something in me? And, and, and that carried me. And then to speed the story up a little, I went into a living room, you know, everybody's invited. Hey, come over to my house. We got this amazing opportunity. And it was a network marketing company. Classic. And yeah. I walked in and it was for Vima and I, you know, I'm a week out of jail and I'm looking at this room of these young people pumped up, excited about life, talking about their dreams, not doing drugs or alcohol. And, and I'm like, I don't even care what you're selling. I don't care if it is a pyramid scheme. Sign me up. Take my money. I just want to be around you guys because I need some new friends. Yeah. And and I jumped all in. And then I and then I, I changed my life in this company. I became a better version of myself. I gave up the bad habits. I got plugged in a good community. I learned public speaking. I built a business to 5K a month in network marketing, which like is less than 1% of people in that industry. Yeah. And I had this like little bit of success and, and it was pretty cool. Then the company crashes. And one of the things that came out of it though, was I went to an event in Columbus or Cleveland, Ohio, Eric Thomas, Gary Vaynerchuk, Darren Hardy, like big name speakers are speaking. It's the first time in my life I'd ever seen a motivational speaker alive. And wow. that's when I knew I'm in the nosebleeds in the very back. I'm nobody. I'm still kind of insecure at this point in my life. I still hadn't really figured out who Cody is. And then I lit up. I lit up when I saw Eric Thomas, Darren Hardy, and Gary Vee. Those are the three I remember. When those three spoke, I literally was like, oh my God, that is me. I belong on that stage. Not because I care about clout, not because I care about fame, but because that man is sharing a story that's changing the life of every single person in this room. I'm yeah. called that. I knew it in my spirit and my soul. It was like this great awakening where God was like, it was like a moment. I just felt like I was the only one in the room. And I was like, that is my calling on my life. And then I started pursuing that pressing in. And I would tell everyone, what are you going to be? I'm on, I'm on track to become a motivational speaker. 
My girlfriend's laughing at me. She breaks up with me because she's embarrassed because I'm posting videos online every day saying you can live your dreams. My <laughs> friends make fun of me, the whole world. Maybe my family's like, what are you doing? I didn't yeah. care. I'm like, no, you don't understand. That's who I'm called to be. I don't need your approval. And I just started seeking this thing with everything that I had. I had to make money. I did sales. I learned, I was like, well, I don't have a college degree and I'm not going to college. I don't believe in going in debt for something that's not going to do anything for me. Not distant education, doctors that work on my heart, please go to school. But for (laughs) motivational speaking and business, I think I'd rather learn from the people themselves. And I did sales, guys. I did uh, real estate for Century 21 Thomas, timeshare for Wyndham Vacation Ownership, door-to-door sales for AT&T, and car sales for Chevy. The worst sales jobs in the world. I have cold called. I've knocked on doors. I've done high pressure, high ticket sales. I did everything uncomfortable. And I always hated selling. A lot of people don't know that. I actually hate it. I don't enjoy selling, but I knew I needed to learn how to communicate. And what better way to learn how to communicate and master the art of speaking than doing sales? Because literally all you do is talk all day to people and learn the psychology of how to emotionally move them to a place of saying yes. Yeah. You know, so that was yeah. my my career. And then COVID happens. And so carry with me, guys. So all this childhood stuff happens. I go to jail. I get out. I join this network marketing company. I learn about personal development. I develop myself. I see a motivational speaker. I feel called to be one. I go through like four years of sales jobs, five years of sales jobs, just learning. I joined Toastmasters. And then I started a company on the side called CSC Inspires. Uh, It was my brand for speaking and motivation. And I put out a video every single day. I landed a couple speaking gigs. The most I ever got paid back then was $500. But I'm a young dude. I'm young 20s. People were paying me $500 to walk into rooms and give motivational talks to their groups. and But not enough to live off. So then uh, I had this idea when COVID started coming on, I saw it coming, Cynthia. I had this feeling in my spirit. I was working at Chevy at the time. And I told my manager, I said, the whole world's about to close down. And I said, and I don't think I'll be here when we come back. And he's like, what do you mean? And then he's like, he was trying to argue with me. And he's like, no, not closing down. It's another hoax. I've lived through a bunch of this. And he's like, you're not going anywhere. And I just remember him saying, you're not going anywhere. And I was like, I'm going to show you, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and challenge sure accepted. Enough, COVID comes on. I rebranded to motivation, everything. I joined the billion dollar brotherhood and uh, we got furloughed and it was cool because I had paid leave um, for the top sales guys there and stuff that made a lot of money. They actually took pretty good care of us because they didn't want us to leave and I was producing pretty well. So I had like this money to ride on for several months that I was still being paid uh, an average out of all my paychecks. They were just paying and I knew I wasn't going back. I jumped all in on my company. I started making a 30 second motivation check video every day during COVID, the time that people needed motivation the most, the time that people, I knew God was, I saw opportunity in the midst of chaos and I started speaking life into people. Then I learned how to build a coaching program and a mastermind through Nicholas. And that's how I know Cynthia, we're in the billion dollar brotherhood. And I just, I didn't have the framework. I had the talent, I had the skill, I had the passion, but no one had ever shown me the framework for success. Once I had the framework, it was very easy for me to work. And we launched October, was October 19th, 2020. 
I launched the coaching program. We did 23,000 our first week, six figures in under six months. And I finally knew I never had to go back to working for someone else. And I was going to live out my purpose on this world. And, and that grew and I grew and ran a mastermind for a while. I did pivot in business. I think it happens quite a bit when you're early on in the first few years of entrepreneurship, you make pivots, you learn. And I realized my gifting was actually people helping them identify their message and share it with the world through content creation. So really what I was able to do most in my coaching program was help people get clear on God, who am I? And God, why am I here? God, what gifts and talents and ideas and dreams and passions have you given me? How do I steward those and express those to the world? How do I find a vehicle that usually is a business for most people to let who you created me to be flow out of me? And I helped yeah. over 27 businesses start. And then I realized in that they all needed to make money. <laughs> so we would spend a lot of time talking about content creation because like my clients needed clients. So the only thing that I knew was what I did. And I just posted on social media content daily. And that built no like and trust. It built an audience. It built a following. I built community around me with a Facebook group. So when I launched offers, it wasn't hard to convert to clients because I'd already been serving them for free. Yeah, and that's yeah. what drew to content daily. So I, I started a second company. Uh, it was a content creation agency. Uh, we were niched in the beginning just on personal branding. I just branded people. That's still to this day, my favorite thing to do in the world, because there will never be another Sathya. And Sathya, you know, we've done a little bit of stuff together and you've gotten to watch me being in the mastermind. Um, yeah, we just scaled an agency. We started creating all this content, but it's really cool. I just want to say this before we get into your questions. I, I just have to say that social media is a tool, guys. And, and, and how we use that tool determines the functionality and the result from it. And, and yeah. when the enemy has used social media so much, especially if you're trying to quit porn, right? It's really hard when you get on Instagram and you see a bunch of half naked girls shaking their butt on Instagram and stuff. So there's this negative connotation to social media and it can be very toxic and very bad because of the consumption and the garbage that we're consuming through it. But I yeah. want to show you guys the other side. It also can be the platform to distribute good. You know, and and, yeah. and we need more leaders standing up and viewing social media, having obedience and discipline and saying, I'm going to put good into the world through this platform that expresses that. And yeah. I'm also going to be disciplined enough to not consume the garbage that it's offering me. And I think when you get to that place, uh, I'm a creator. I don't consume. So I don't really scroll on social media. I don't even view half the stuff we do for our clients. I just don't because I yeah. don't want to consume garbage. Not that what we make for our clients is garbage, but in between it all is garbage. Yeah. So I just focus on creating and I don't know. I just felt that on my heart, man. If anybody hears this, like there will never be another you in the world. Express that through social media and have the discipline to not consume the garbage. Yeah, it's so good, man. So good. So, okay. I, I mean, I've heard my share of stories. I've worked with hundreds of guys now. So I know how this goes a little bit. And I was just thinking about kind of the the culture and the scene that you were in prior to going to jail. So dealing drugs and caught up in that life a little bit. And I'm going to guess that you didn't just come out of jail, cold turkey, never went back to drugs, never went back to any of that again. 
How did you make some of those lifestyle adjustments? Because you and I both know that like, if you're going to run anything successful, whether we're talking about a business or um, even just being a leader in any kind of capacity, your lifestyle is everything, right? And many uh, entrepreneur and church leaders have failed because behind closed doors, they had some lifestyle issues that they didn't take care of. And I know that's something that has kind of undergirded your life, especially the last few years, Cody. Just tell us a little bit about that part. How did you, well, I'm, I guess I'm curious first, what was it like when you came out of jail? Were you just clean? Did you fall back into it? And you know, how did that progress now to where you are today? No, that's good, man. I'm glad you're digging on that because the answer is absolutely not. I don't think anybody, like there was a, a switch and I was intentionally wanting to fully get out of that life. Big time. Yeah, for sure. I was pretty deep into that life at that point. Um, it was, it was actually, there's a lot of things I, I can't say a lot too, man. Cause that, that world is a whole nother world. I can tell you there were people that I made a lot of money for and that it wasn't exactly easy to walk away from them, yeah. uh, free and clear. So there were parts of, um, of diligence in that area of servitude almost, um, because I was in so far that I had to do to be able to fully walk away from it. That yeah. was really difficult. Um, but I think habit wise too, that's what I knew. That's the life that I was living. So I, I went cold Turkey. I think like a lot of people do for a little while and then fell back. Um, I started dating a, a woman that was a blessing at the time. And I started working in real estate and I, uh, I kind of got away and had an outlet to make some money outside of that. And, and I was, that helped me channel myself away from that stuff. Um, but then behind the scenes, I started closet dealing, I would call it, where I moved okay. to a, a new home and, and behind the scenes, I was still the guy pulling all the strings, but no one just knew it was me. And, you know, besides oh, very few people. So okay, I lived on. almost a double life for probably like eight, nine months of behind the scenes, pulling all these strings and then like, just to be real with you guys, I, um, uh, I always, God has always positioned like angels around me and I have to be really careful because we're sharing this on a podcast. I'll just say somebody that really cared about me, uh, who was married to somebody who was very important, took me out to lunch and told me, Hey, you, if you don't stop now, you're, you're going to get caught type of deal. So there was a coming to Jesus moment from someone that really cared about me. Uh, that gave me my last warning of, you know, we were doing a lot, man, back then, like that, that world's a whole nother world. And I could have be where my dad is right now, you know, maybe not as long, but close to that. And I, I knew this person cared about me. And when I heard that, I didn't really have a choice, you know, yeah. it's basically, I was told if you keep doing this, you know, you're going to, your door is going to be kicked in any day now. And I, uh, I had saved up quite a bit of money. You know, I had over like $30,000 cash and I, I moved, actually, I moved states and I don't usually tell this in the podcast, but I knew to fully walk away from that life was going to take me fully leaving the environment that I built that life in. And for mm. me, I had to move back a thousand miles back home to Michigan and start from the bottom again. And, and it was a wow. journey, guys. Uh, I still smoked weed every day for the first you know portion I was there, probably a year and a half, two years. Uh, and I actually had a dream from God. I was March 23rd at 3.33 in the morning. I can't remember the exact year. And uh, God visited me. And I, my funds are dwindling at this point. I'm living in my sister's basement. I'm at rock bottom. And I, you know, just prior, you know, a year and a half ago, 
over 100K, um, six figures behind the scenes, working a career paying me 50, 60K, living in an oceanfront condo, driving a Mercedes, beautiful girlfriend, thought I had life figured out. You fast forward a year and a half, I'm living in my sister's basement, smoking weed every day, not sure what to do with my life. And then I have a dream and God visits me. Dude, it was God, I swear. It was a Kairos moment. And God said, Cody, I have so much for you, but you won't let go of the old you. And until Mm -hmm. you let go of the old you, you'll never become the man that I created you to be. And that was the true moment. I think I was 24 years old. I'm only 28 guys to give you some context of when you walk in obedience, what can happen and how fast I I got on my knees and I started crying. I was covered in sweat. That's how I knew it was so real. I was literally like, I just got out of a swimming pool. That's how drenched I was from that dream. And I, I just, I just surrendered and I repented and I said, God, I, I just, I can't do this alone. I give my life to you. That was a true moment that I really, not an altar call in a church, not another water baptism. It was a true, genuine surrendering of my heart to Jesus Christ and saying, take the wheel. I don't want it no more. And then it's so crazy. I I, I quit smoking. <clears throat> I wish I could say that carried the whole four years. I've had falls with my habits in that area, but for two and a half years, I never touched cannabis. And I ended up giving up alcohol. I'm 18 months sober from alcohol. I gave up sex. I'm 14 or 15 months sober and purity. And I began to walk the walk. I began to live obediently. I began to say, what's the worst thing that can happen? If I fully surrender my life, I fully walk in obedience. Let's see what God can really do. And let me tell you, I built a successful multi six-figure business I moved to San Diego, California. I found the most incredible community of people that love me and care about me. And I built a life that I live today that I still wake up and look in the mirror and say, is this real? Yeah, come on, man. It's amazing. So tell me about the last 14 months. What have you done that's helped you stay away from drugs, alcohol, and sex? Yeah. For one, I, you know, you'll notice this trend of switching environments in my life. There was my home life to Wally's environment, back to home, make mistakes again, moved to South Carolina, good environment till met with adversity back into toxic environment, toxic environment to home lows in life, different environment though, away from that. Then I hit a ceiling in Michigan. And I moved to San Diego. I started walking in purity a month after I moved out here. So the key for me was who was around me, who was speaking into my life, the way that they were living their life. I have right now in my life, it's crazy in this worldly world we live in three of my best friends are men that have never had sex with a woman because they walk so obediently in purity. Hmm. And they're good looking studs. Let me tell you, it's not because they <laughs> can't like they're studs, but they're obedient men to God and they yeah. honor that area. My girlfriends walked in purity all 31 years. So I think I got around and exposed because in the worldly world I was living in, when I started to try to do this, I tried a few times, the guys around me would clown me. 
right. you know, and would make fun of me and with yeah. this and that. And maybe I just wasn't strong enough back then to carry that on my own yet because I hadn't become that bold, courageous leader yet. So yeah. I think that I got around an environment and a church. You know, a lot of churches like hint at you shouldn't have sex before marriage. My church awakened church. I'm a leader on a team there. Dude, if you live with your girlfriend, if you're having sex before marriage, you're not allowed to lead in our church. Like right. they are, our culture is like, they'll tell you what you need to hear. So I have this accountability around me and it's mm. almost actually become normal for me to walk in purity because that's what all the people around me are doing. Wow. It's amazing, man. Yeah. The, the power of an environment, it really, it shifts everything. The, we use this phrase, we probably overuse it now in our circles, but um, the research shows that, you know, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. And forming those communities and having that kind of support, people who aren't trying to pull you back or, or keep you at a certain level, but are actually calling you up. That's really, really powerful. Dude, that's why what you're doing right now in the community that you're creating around. All right, here's the thing. Porn addiction is, the I think, the greatest addiction, like the worst, not greatest, it's the wrong word. The, the worst addiction that, are, that men face. I think you yeah. are attacking the one area that Satan does not want to attack because it's the one grip that he has on every man, Christian or not, we all struggle with. But because you're cultivating a community around that of, of understanding how to break that and how to have the support and accountability, uh, dude, that's, I just think it's amazing what you're doing. And guys, like, don't try to tackle these things alone. Don't try yeah. to be that courageous warrior that's going to run into a battlefield of a million enemies and think you can slay them all on your own. Yeah. Yeah, it's good, man. It's so good. Okay, so um, as we kind of wrap this thing up a little bit, I can't help but think about sort of the subplot of fatherhood and father figures and all of this. Like, you grew up without a father because your father was in prison. You have Wally step into your life, mentor you, take you under his wing, kind of show you what it means to be a man and inspire you to kind of to dream bigger and everything else. He passes away you sort of are, are working through the different seasons of life, you know, some, some really hard seasons as well. And you're starting to find your stride here. You know, you're 28 years old, um, certainly a lot more mature than you were even just a few short years ago, more stability in your entrepreneur endeavors. You have a girlfriend, like there's like things have rounded out here. And now here you are two, two years away from your dad being released from prison. And I, I guess, I guess my question is like, what do you make of all that? Do you feel um, like has building that relationship with God help you fill that, that void of a father figure? Uh, do you have any desire to meet your father when he gets released from prison? Or do you feel like you have a good thing going and you'll see him if you see him, but you know, like that thing's kind of signed and sealed and closed. Like, how are you going to handle those next couple of years in this area? I'm kind of curious. Yeah, it's crazy. Cause I've never been asked this on a podcast. Um, all right. Well, for one, I'll answer the part of, there was a void always of, of, of a dad, right? Cause I never had that guys. And yeah, it wasn't actually until I viewed God as a loving father and understood that I've actually never been fatherless, that I've always had a father that's loved me unconditionally, mm. that I really had, a, I think, a, a heart change of understanding that need and that want and that desire in my life is already being met. There is a book called Experiencing the Father's Embrace. Everyone should read it. Yeah. Is that Jack Winter? Jack Frost? Yeah. One of those yeah. Guys? And you know that there were some other books I went through. So I went through, there was a small group. It's funny how God works because after I surrendered my life to God that night, um, four weeks later, I'm in the gym working out and 
I had seen this guy who always was in my gym for a while. I didn't know he was the pastor of a big church. He was just a really cool guy, fit guy. His name was Jeff. And Jeff had invited me to some like public speaking things. I told my dream was like motivational speaking. And long story short, I end up in his church invited by some of these other guys still never tells me he's the pastor. And on this <laughs> Sunday, all of a sudden, Jeff, the guy that like got me looped in with these really cool guys that are like older and like mentoring me um, is this lead pastor of a big church. And he invited me into a small group with him. And I didn't realize I was put into a group of like spiritual warriors, man, like giants, like wow. these guys like lived it. Pastor of the church, executive of the church, a guy that owned his own law firm, a guy that owned a plumbing. Like, they were just like, they were like guys in their 50s and 60s that just like loved God and had lived in an obedient life for 30 plus years. And wow. in that, I got to be really vulnerable and also see these guys who are amazing that you see in church that like have it all together behind the scenes, what they struggle with. And I got to realize I'm not alone in these struggles. And then uh, we came to the topic of, of they dug into me on my father in prison and how that made me feel and how that showed up in my life. And they really made me see that I, I've never been alone and that, I, that God's always with me and that like he is my father. So that shifted. And then I had another Bible study where we read the experiencing the father's embrace. So there was just this. Guys, if you grew up without a dad like me and you're still in that pit, it's hard for us. Like, I feel you. Like, I grew up where sports games, all your buddies' dads are there. I didn't have a dad. Like, I went through it all. But I'll tell you what, we, you do have a dad. And he loves you unconditionally. And he loves me unconditionally. And I've just been able to find comfort in that, Cynthia. Yeah. To my dad getting out in two years, I didn't know who my dad was till 10 years old. And I started asking my mom questions because a babysitter made a comment about my dad in prison at when I was like nine years old. And I kept asking about it because my mom wouldn't talk about my dad and she'd never taken me to see him in prison. So okay. at 10, I went to meet my father. Uh, I've actually known my dad now uh, for 18 years. I visited him in prison three times. He calls me on the phone every other week. He actually tells me he's proud of me every time that we speak. Um, wow. he, he loves me and he knows that he messed up and he knows that he made mistakes and he's held on to hope this whole time. I don't know what our relationship will look like. Uh, he is my father, but he's not my dad. If that makes sense. You know, sense. I think yep. being a dad is something that you earn the right to, to be, to really be. And I hope we have a healthy relationship. I know that like, I know how, what I've learned through God, I, I can't, I don't, it's not my place to judge him or hold resentment towards him. I've already forgiven him. And I hope that I get to have my dad in my life for a few years. The capacity that that looks like will actually depend on him, you know, because yeah. I'm pretty bold and solid ground where I stand with who I am and what I'm going to tolerate in my life. And as long as my dad makes an effort, um, I would love to have him in my life. Like I want to have a family and kids and I want him to know his grandkids and all that. Like, just cause my dad's been in prison 30 years doesn't mean that he's going to be a terrible person, but he's got to earn that. So I think it just comes down to how my dad behaves when he comes yep. out of prison and, and what that looks like. And I'm just going to be praying for him and just, you know, <laughs> I'm going to leave it up to God. I don't yeah. really know, man. That's, that's a scary thing for me. I've gotten used oh, yeah. to not having a dad. 
Yeah, yeah, big time, man, big time. But I think that's really cool. I know one of the things our our clients go through is learning to see God as a father, as a perfect father. Because whether your dad was in prison or he was around all the time, we all grew up with imperfect parents, you know, and there's things we need to heal from and recover from and ultimately replace our parents with the love of the father. Um, and that's the only way you really walk in that true identity. So it's it's cool what you're sharing. And I think even though maybe a majority of listeners don't have their dad in prison, I think we all relate with that. Like as you heal and as you mature, how do you involve your parents still and, and find that that balance? And yeah, there's no cookie cutter. So it's it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out, man. Um, as, as we wrap up here, Cody, you're talking to some guys who are probably hearing your story and feeling a mixture of things. They're feeling super inspired because here's this guy who has gone through a lot, has overcome you know significant odds to you know do the kinds of things that you're doing today, and probably a little bit of like yeah, but you know that's great for Cody, right? Like th- I'm so glad things worked out for him. Man, 14 months of purity, that's amazing. 18 months without alcohol, he's not doing drugs anymore. Um, he's cleaned up his life, but you know, maybe it's, you don't know what I've been through. Maybe it's like, I don't have that extreme circumstance or situation. You know, I just had a normal life, but I'm still struggling. Uh, What would you say to somebody who knows they need to make a major change in their life, but maybe is still just hitting a bit of a wall to actually go through with it? Yeah. Why not you? You know, it's, I'm no better than any of you. I struggle with the same things that all of you struggle with. I struggle with porn. I struggle with still my addiction from my childhood. Um, I I still have temptation and lust of the flesh, uh, all the things, you know, it's so easy to fall right back into those bold habits, but why not you? I think, I think to be honest, it's not going to be the thing that they want to hear at the end of the day. When are you actually going to take responsibility for your own life Mm -hmm. and stop justifying why you can't do it, why it's too hard, why someone else is special or touched or lucky At what point do you look at the man or woman in the mirror and say, enough is enough. I'm going to change my own life because nobody else is going to do it for me. So I think there comes a point, go walk right now, go walk and look at a mirror right now. Look at your retinas, look deep into your own soul. That's who you have to answer to. You can lie to Sathya. You can lie to me. You can lie to your family. You can lie to the world, but you're going to wake up every day with shame and guilt. And at what point do you finally look at the man or woman in the mirror and say, you know what? I owe you the best. I owe me the best. Yeah. 100% obedience and effort. And it's okay. If you fall short, pick yourself up, brush yourself off, extend the grace and say, it's all right. Cause it's not going to happen again. And go yeah. look at the man in the mirror and say, I'm not going to let you down. And then just go and honor that. Stop yeah. breaking promises to yourself. You make a promise to somebody else and you'll keep it, but you won't keep the promise you keep making to yourself. Yeah, it's so good, man. So good. Cody, I know people are going to want to connect with you um, and maybe find ways to plug into what you're doing. Fill them in. Where can they meet you? Yeah, guys, I, I love to create content to change your life. Uh, Instagram, I am Cody Cottle. TikTok. I am Cody Cottle. I'm still old school. I love Facebook. You can connect with me on there. Just look up Cody Cottle. And if you guys want to spelling it, C-O-D-Y-C-O-T-T-L-E. Yeah. And just that's really the place for me. My playground is social media. I produce content daily, hence the name of my company. 
Uh, but my personal brand is not what you guys would think. I'm not just putting out a bunch of marketing mumbo jumbo to get clients. Uh, you can ask Athea. I'm using my platform to change lives. And yeah. I don't care if you ever work with me. I don't, you know, my business does fine, but it's more about if you want to consume content that's going to inspire you to become the best version of you and walk in alignment with who God created you to be, then my content's for you. And if you're scared of that, it's really for you. Yeah, let's go. Awesome, man. Cody, thanks for your time, man. Thanks for sharing your story with uh, the audience here. Really appreciate it. Dude, thank you, Cynthia. I love what you're doing, man. You're a warrior. You're a champion. I think it's big. I, you guys, you know, one thing real quick, though, just, just honoring, honoring, honoring people that are stepping out in alignment with who God created them to be and making our world a better place. Cynthia, you are one of those men. You are a leader of men, and you deserve to be honored. So thank you. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, that was my interview with Cody Cottle. Uh, like I said, a little bit of a different style for what we normally do, but really um, he's doing a very important work. He's got a very important story and I hope it inspires you guys to step into further freedom so you can help more people. And I hope it reminds you that, hey, if somebody who grew up against all odds like that, um, you know, just high degrees of adversity was able to experience freedom then you can too so don't you ever forget uh go follow cody on social media if you want some more inspiring content and i want to remind you that if you are struggling with porn addiction and you're looking for a little bit more help my book the last relapse is available for free for our listeners you just have to go to the last and you can get a free copy uh delivered straight to your inbox right away that book we get stories about that book all the time and that book is quite literally changing lives. We're seeing marriages. Uh, we're seeing, we are seeing people who are getting free and then starting their dreams, uh, whether it's a business or pursuing a different job or whatever it is. Uh, so if you're really looking to get rid of the root issues, to have long-term freedom, and then to experience all the glorious byproducts that come with it, thelastrelapsebook.com is your place to be. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Much love to all of you. I hope today's episode helped you live with confidence and integrity. And I'll talk to you very, very soon. Take care. Hey everybody, it's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.